You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to Pro Football Network's Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell, PFN's fantasy football director. With me is PFN fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. As always, you can find us at profootballnetwork.com. Check us out on the fantasy tab, any other tab you like. Uh, and we are doing fantasy year round, hour round. Uh, hour round is uh, something I'm going to trademark Katz uh, when we're done with this podcast. Uh, we're going to prepare for the 2022 season. And today, Katz and I are examining lessons learned for running backs in 2021, how can we can apply those lessons in 2022, uh, basically sh- focusing on shocking underperformers because we, we great running backs. That's great. We could talk about that as we get into the summer. Right now, it's a good time to talk about some underperformers and figure out, could we have seen this coming and what does it mean heading into the next season? Cats, who you got? Who's a big running back name who underperformed this past season? What were the warning signs? Yeah, we're, we're not going to talk about guys like Christian McCaffrey who got hurt or, or Derrick Henry who had obviously a stellar first half and then struggled over the second, not struggled, but got hurt and on Halloween and didn't play the second half of the season. I'm looking at a guy who is a consensus RB1 heading into the season, and that is Aaron Jones. Mm. Uh, I I was a supporter of Aaron Jones heading into the season because, after all, this, this guy finished top five back-to-back years, and he did it without getting heavy volume. So even if A.J. Dillon was going to eat into his workload, Aaron Jones should still have been fine. That draft logic was also fine. I don't regret that at all. The issue when it comes to Aaron Jones was not reacting, if you didn't, to what you had seen in season. I remember writing my buy low, sell high article after a down game. I think it was around week nine. And he had a down game, so it wasn't really a sell high. But his value was decreasing, and I thought it was only going to continue to go down. And people often misinterpret sell high as assuming the player is coming off of a big game, but it's really just selling a player that you think is at a value that he will not be at in the future. Aaron Jones' value is never that high again. There were warning signs that A.J. Dillon was overtaking Aaron Jones as the primary runner. There were warning signs that A.J. Dillon was taking over as the goal line back. Dillon's snapshot was increasing while Jones's was decreasing. So while we and we had so with this evidence, we could have reacted to this. If if we had trade partners that were willing to take on Aaron Jones and possibly extracted more value than Jones gave us remaining on our fantasy team, love it. I love that example, and uh, it hits it's it hits home for me uh, because this summer um, I was pushing readers uh, to uh, fade Aaron Jones and invest in AJ Dillon. He was one of several handcuffs I drafted and targeted in other people's drafts when. Um, Folks hired me to draft for them. 
uh, Dylan and Alexander Madison were my two favorites, along with, of course, Tony Pollard. Those three are kind of my triumvirate of handcuff running backs. Look, Dylan, uh, uh, I'm with you 100%. And uh, uh, Aaron Jones is, for me, and I, I remember we had a big discussion about this as a team meeting. Those who were listening, I wish you all could have been listening in on this team meeting we had. It was me and Katz and Tommy Garrett. Uh, and one of our contractors, John Helmkamp, and we were discussing back in, I think it was late October, early November, the merits of uh, Aaron Jones versus A.J. Dillon. And Katz, you might remember this. I said, I think A.J. Dillon, and I've been saying this since the summer, uh, can be just as good as Aaron Jones and will be just as good by the end of the season in terms of fantasy. And uh, John challenged me to a write-off. We wrote a piece, a point-counterpoint piece, uh, where we walked through, he walked through why Aaron Jones was clearly better. And I walked through why A.J. Dillon was actually the guy to invest in at that point in the season, just as he was over the summer. Um, I'm going to be big on Dillon uh, in the in the offseason. And I think it's going to also come down to, as we all know, who's quarterback in that team. So I think it's a case where Jones has more to lose right now, in my opinion, than Dillon has to gain going into 2022. Of course, it is only February, and much will change. We'll learn about what Green Bay's offense looks like heading into this season. But assuming that Aaron Rodgers does come back, and it looks similar to how it did in 2021, the guy that I want in this backfield is probably just going to be the one who's cheaper. And, and yeah. I, I yeah. suspect that's going to, is going to be A.J. Dillon. I, I think that people are going to react to Aaron. Aaron Jones had a stellar receiving game against the 49ers in the playoffs. And I think that's going to remind people that, yes, he is definitely the receiving back for sure. But this isn't exactly a team that trails often. And it's also a team that is around the goal line often. And if Aaron Jones is no longer the goal line back, I don't think his receiving work is going to make up for the touchdowns that A.J. Dillon will steal from him this season. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I like the, the cheaper option strategy. And it's a case where if you're drafting at the turn, this is a good example where drafting at the turn remains my favorite place to draft. Uh, because you can snag two running backs uh, and lock in value. It sounds like you're shooting yourself in the foot, but you're really not if they're comparable talents. Um, we see this all the time. We saw it with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. This past summer, if you invested in both, you got great value from Singletary. We saw it four, uh, three or four years ago with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams when I was at the turn. I drafted both of them, I think, in the ninth and 10th round, uh, and uh, and Jones stepped up, Williams faltered, and I got amazing value. So drafting at the turn, if you get to choose, is a great way to snag those types of tandem running backs of similar value. Cats, who else you got? Who Who's a, a big underperformer from 2021 that you're, teaches us a lesson going into 2022? Well, well, first, I want to continue on with the Devin Singletary thing, so I'm glad you brought him up. Oh, good. Uh, because I know we're talking about the, the warning signs, but what about positive signs? And with someone like Singletary, we weren't sure heading into the season whether it would be Zach Moss or Devin Singletary. I was sure that if it was Zach Moss, I want to know part of it in fantasy because Zach Moss, quite frankly, is he's just not good enough to be a running back in the NFL. I'm sorry. It's just the reality is, sure, he's a great guy, but Zach Moss is just he's, he's too slow, no acceleration. If there was going to be a guy, it would have been Singletary. And they kind of went back and forth for a while. But in week 13, we saw a shift. Devin Singletary played 82% of the snaps. And at that time, we couldn't have known whether that was just a blip or if there was something more that was happening. But what we do know 
is a running back that's seeing an 80% snap share needs to be on fantasy rosters. That's Especially right. Especially if he's in an elite offense like the Buffalo Bills. Singletary yeah. went on to finish the season as the overall RB2 over the final five weeks. He, he was the definition of the type of player that was a league winner. But prior to week 13, he was a free agent in so many leagues. And yeah. the lesson that I took away from that, because I picked him up in one league, but in other leagues, I kind of just left him out there. I'm like, ah, I don't know. It doesn't matter if you don't know. Take the shot. Worst case scenario, you were wrong and you drop him the next week. If you see any sort of sign like that, it's at least at least worth a stab. Yeah, I agree. And and at that time, for perspective, for all of you listening, and, and sometimes the season can be long and uh, and we forget the context, but the Bills at that point had clearly given up on Moss. They experimented with Matt Breida. Uh, Breida stepped up on Thanksgiving. Uh, it appeared that Breida was now the flavor of the month uh, for Buffalo. And then Breida quickly fell out of favor and they went to Singletary. One of the things I wrote about with Singletary in a, a PFN's newsletter earlier in the season was I was dumbstruck at how you could have a guy like Singletary averaging over five yards a carry and someone like Zach Moss averaging about 3.6 yards a carry. Singletary being more adept in the passing game. The biggest difference was Moss was scoring. Singletary wasn't. So on paper, if you look just at the fantasy numbers, uh, a fantasy manager might say, well, Moss is doing pretty well. He's getting me eight points, 12 points. That's great. But behind the scenes, what was happening was there was a clearly a better running back named Devin Singletary, and there was clearly a lacking running back in terms of on-the-field performance, and that was Zach Moss, who was being kept afloat by touchdowns. And so my theory was on balance, when you see this happen, one of two things happens. Either Zach Moss is much better than I expect and Singletary is much worse and they will level out or the team sees what we can see and they understand that Singletary is giving them more value on the field, save the touchdowns, and that going forward, if they want to move into a Super Bowl mindset, they need to go with the best running back, not just a tandem for the sake of a tandem. Uh, and I think the, one of the lessons there is you can't just look at a guy like Zach Moss and say, well, he's racking up points, so he's going to stay on my team. And we've talked about this, Cats, and we agree on this. I think when, when you're banking on touchdowns, you're rolling the dice. But if you're banking on touches, and especially quality touches, that's an investment worth making. I'm all for chasing touchdowns. And that actually is one of my biggest takeaways from the 2021 season is that you want to try and chase touchdowns. However, you need to understand when these when the touch, touchdowns are in some way, I, I don't want to say predictable because touchdowns are difficult to predict, but there's at least context behind why a player might score them as opposed to just complete randomness, which is what it was with Zach Moss. There was no deliberate usage of him uh, like near the goal. And he just happened to score instead of Josh Allen a, a couple games in a row. I see what you're saying. So in terms of chasing touchdowns, when you see someone like Daryl uh, uh, Williams uh, uh, with Kansas City uh, or or James Conner, better example maybe in Arizona. <laughs> yes, if James Conner. the goal man. line looks, then that's that's a chasing touchdowns moment because you know that's the favored back near the goal line. Is that fair right. to say? Exactly. Where I don't think Zach Moss was ever the goal line back. Plus, Buffalo doesn't really have a goal line back. It's Josh Allen. Right. Which means that these touchdowns he's getting, you can't expect it to continue. Whereas with James Conner, we know the Cardinals have a, a very good offense. We could expect that to continue. And there was reason to have optimism about James Conner once we saw his role early in the season. Or if you were, if you were keen to it before the draft, then 
credit to you. I missed on Connor this year. I didn't think he was good enough, and he proved me wrong. And that's something that I've learned from from last season going into this season. Yeah, I uh, James Connor is going to be one of my bigger fades going into next season. I I feel uh, dumb having doubted him, uh, but I think uh, I, when I see that many touchdowns uh, uh, come at the expense of a largely injured uh, complementary back, co back, you know, co lead back, and Chase Edmonds. I think that, or because uh, uh, Evans, that uh, you know, it's it's basically, uh, yeah. I I doubt it's going to continue, but I still feel stupid. Yeah, Chase Edmonds. I kept I kept thinking Jim Edmonds, former Arizona, former uh, uh, Angels uh, baseball player, and I said Chase Edmonds, and somehow it didn't sound right. Um, and so I'm going back to Chase Edmonds. Anyway, moving on. Next running back, Cats. Do you have another underperformer? that you want to talk about and what we learned from it. We'll talk about my least favorite pick in the history of my beloved Dallas Cowboys. And that is Ezekiel Elliott. I will no, never I'm forgive him. I will never forgive him for passing on Jalen Ramsey for a running back. Never. So fantasy wise, what, 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 what do we learn? Because, you know, he, he was coming off a, a season when I think it was the offense coordinator last offseason said that Zeke didn't quite look 100% in 2020. So the thinking was he was now back in 2021. What, what change, like, what is something that we could look at with Zeke Elliott? Is it all the mileage that's on him at this point? Uh, because everything seemed to be set up for him and the rest of the Dallas offense to rebound, except for the fact that Tony Pollard is arguably the best backup in the league in terms of running back. What else was it with Zeke Elliott that anything that could have been predicted? Entering the season, I don't think this could have been predicted because it's hard It's hard to know what the actual reason was for Zeke's sudden just crash in terms of production. If you look at his first five games, uh, week one against the Bucks, elite run defense, nothing. But then he had... Uh, 16 carries for 71 yards, 17 for 95, 20 for 143, and 21 for 110. Right. After that 21 for 110 against the Giants, he did not rush for more than 69 yards the rest of the regular season up until, I guess, week 18, but I don't even count week 18. It didn't matter. (laughs) And and it's not a fantasy week. So Ezekiel Elliott's production completely tanked. Why? Well, we had the knee injury, and we – we really aren't sure how serious it was. There were reports after the season he played with a partially torn PCL. If that's true, first of all, someone on the Cowboys medical staff needs a good talking to. Yeah. Um, but but second, that, that could explain Zeke's, Zeke's lack of production for sure. The, the key takeaway in terms of how to approach this going forward is regardless of the reason, in the season, we saw a shift. We saw his snap share start to decrease. He played 83% of the snaps in that first week. After that week five game with 110 yards, week six, 71%. Week seven, 75%. After that, or sorry, that was week eight, they had the bye week. After that, he did not hit 70% the rest of the season. Yes. Whatever the reason, we need to see that and realize that, okay, this is not the top five running back that we drafted. He's not that guy anymore. Right. And I mean, he, I, he was, he was barely an RB two over the second half of the season. In terms of per game. Yeah. Points per game. That's right. Um, I, so I've got a theory on this and it's, it's hopefully a little better than a theory, uh, but the research is still being uh, conducted. Uh, 
I've been examining uh, for the last uh, season and a half snap share, snap, excuse me, snap count for running backs and the impact that it has on running backs the following season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And one interesting thing about Zeke Elliott is that in 2018, he was number two in the league among running backs with 890 snaps. For context, 890 is a huge number. He was 23, didn't affect him much the next season. He scored just about the same number of fantasy points. He's 23 years old. That's the key takeaway. In 2019, the next year, he was again number two in snap count, 937 this time. Who is he behind? Christian McCaffrey, who fell apart the next season. We'll get to that another time. Uh, And then this last season, 2020, before this season, he was number one in snap count among running backs with 789. My theory is that, and it's backed up by the numbers based on over, you know, the snap counts have been counted officially for about a decade now. So we have data covering about 120 players. And players ages 21 to 23 who have at least 600 snaps in a season, these are running backs, are basically at regress based on fantasy points on average 5% the next season. But ages 24 to 27, the regression is 27%. And for 28-year-olds and up, it's 42%. So what Zeke Elliott could get away with as a 23-year-old, even a 24-year-old, in terms of that high usage, not just talking about rushing attempts, but just being on the field, blocking, cutting, running, getting knocked down, whatever it is, over and over again, as you advance in age, what the numbers show is your your, uh, regression risk increases tremendously and the amount of your regression increases tremendously. That is something people need to, in my opinion, if I were your uh, fantasy attorney, I would say bank this away, uh, use it, understand who the high uh, draft count people are for 2021. I've got them right here in front of me. Um, I won't give away everything right now. We'll get to it another time. But the point is, this is stuff that you can take to the bank because the data shows it is valid. And I'll bounce it back to you, Katz. What thoughts do you have on what I just said we don't, we don't prepare for this podcast. We prepare on our own, but this is all organic. Do you hear these numbers and you say, those are just numbers in a, in a vacuum? Because I know you like to look at the quality. I like to look a lot at the quantity. Is that a fair assessment, Katz? Well, Push the way you approach it is how I like to approach it. I like to look at things at a macro level and, and understand, okay, what is most likely to happen with a, with a player that fits this set of criteria? And once we know that, we, we have a general sense of how likely something might be to happen. And then we look at the specific player and we see if there's any context to apply to it. Like, for example, Derrick Henry. He has amassed a significant number of carries over the past three or four seasons. Right. Derrick Henry is also a freak of nature. So perhaps we'd be more amenable to believing he can go back to playing a full season in 2022 than somebody smaller who's taking more, who's taking more of a beating on a, on a weekly basis. When it comes to Ezekiel Elliott, it's interesting because he's going to turn 27 this year. 
and he's the age apex for running backs where, where they kind of start to decline which not, not doesn't mean they're bad but then they start to decline is 25 years old so after 25 a running back is typically going to perform a little bit worse each year than he did the, the previous year unless they're rested a, a derrick henry and and for those listening you know derrick henry spent his first what two seasons a complimentary backup uh so so sometimes the clock starts tipping starts ticking later if the player doesn't become a starter until they're 24 for example just to throw that, that out that's perfect i was actually going to bring up that exact type of thing when it comes to context which is even the age the 25 is is it's not an arbitrary number but it's it's based on expected usage for a running back if a running back doesn't become a feature back until older like 23 or 24 then he's not going to have as many mileage on any and as much miles on him at age 25 as the typical aj pets expect which means that we can be confident in his abilities at age 26 age 27 even age 28. somebody like zeke though he's been getting pounded with touches since he was a 21 year old rookie he has yeah. nearly 2000 career touches if you want to use a random example as, as to parallel for example david johnson was drafted in 2015. Now, i know david johnson at this point he's done like there's there's nothing left but he's he has an extra year in the nfl versus zeke yet he only has 1268 career touches he has 700 fewer touches than zeke despite being uh Despite being only one NFL year older than him, yeah. now I know he's an older rookie, but the, the point is, it's it's all about usage. And with someone like Zeke, and we're heading into 2022, we need to consider, yes, the injury, the knee injury, may have played a heavy factor, but there's also the general volume issue, and it's possible that we continue to see his workload reduced as he ages. Which means, is he still a guy that's worth drafting in the top two rounds? I'm not sure. Yeah. I I agree. I think I think um, Cowboys have a lot to think about uh, in the off season because Pollard is uh, uh, you know Better. one year away um, from probably looking for a new deal, uh, and uh, and he could be the guy that steps in and gives them three solid years as a starter. Um, I think Pollard's averaged five plus yards a carry each of his uh, campaigns. He's averaged more yards per carry each year than. Zeke has in Pollard's three years uh, in this in uh, in the NFL, and he's a great pass catcher. I mean, he can do what Zeke does. He's not Zeke Elliott in prime Elliott form, but we're not going to see prime Elliott form again in all likelihood. So it creates that stress right now on the Cowboys of what do they do? Um, and in fantasy, I I agree with you. I would just fade Zeke Elliott in the first couple rounds. Even he could be ranked 16th, um, uh, you know, in ADP. I would still fade him because it's not clear that by the end of the season, he's going to be the number one guy in Dallas. Um, I've, I've got one for you, if, if that's okay, Cats, uh, unless you have one more that you want to throw out at me. Yeah, um, go right ahead. But uh, uh, James Robinson, to me, is a fascinating case. It's, it's not that James Robinson uh, uh, wasn't good. It's just um, he did get uh, uh, nicked up. Uh, he – but – the offense around him um, had pretty much fallen apart. Um, I mean, this was a, a situation where you had the number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, um, during a, I think it was like a nine-game stretch through one touchdown pass, something like that. It was eight-game or nine-game stretch. Um, there wasn't a lot of offense being generated. Negative game script uh, wasn't helping. Uh, and so James Robinson 
but compared to what he did his rookie year, had a disappointing season. It was only, you know, shy of 800 yards, eight touchdowns, though. Um, and he caught only 31 balls. He caught almost 50 the year before. But it was this sense of we saw a glimpse of a great fantasy running back in James Robinson. He was great, his rookie campaign. And with, uh, you know, the, the expectation that I had for him was this offense wouldn't be any worse <laughs> in 2021 and that he could build on it. He still averaged more yards per carry, by the way, than he did his rookie year. Like the metrics, he still did really well. It's just that offense could not support him. Um, so throwing it to you, Cats, what do we see in Jacksonville? And it's too early to know with free agency and, and the draft going into 2022. But are you still a believer that on paper, at least, Robinson remains a very talented young back who needs to be in that top 14 conversation? Oh, absolutely not. I have absolutely no interest in James Robinson this season. I think this is the, the, the Travis Etienne show. He's going to be the main guy. And Robinson coming off the torn Achilles occurring in December. I, I know we know we saw Cam Akers return in five and a half months, but the reality is Cam Akers, he did not look good. And and I do believe Akers will be fine. But I think they just, rushed him. I think they rushed him back. I mean, I, I think if they personally, I, I think if the timetable were a month behind, I think they would have sat on him for an extra month. Um, I just think he, it just seemed that he wasn't yet close to 100%. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, and if it weren't right. going for the Super Bowl, they wouldn't have brought him back, in my opinion. But, but go ahead uh, to your point. Completely agree. So, Robinson, let's say he gets back in and he starts practicing with the team. What maybe he gets back by August? That's a best case scenario. It, it, he may, he may start the season on the pup list. We, we don't, we don't know what Robinson's role will be with a completely new regime. And we don't know what his role will be now because Travis Etienne is going to be able to get those practice reps in. He's going to be with the team in the off, in the OTA. He's going to be with the team when training camp starts, when, when Robinson's out there rehabbing his injury. And Etienne's, he's the first round pick. He's got the draft capital. Robinson's a UDFA. It, unfortunately, it, there, the amount of Austin Echoes in the NFL are few and far between. We got Austin Eckler and we got Algarian Foster. And how many other UDFAs can you recall that ended up going on to have consistent, strong careers? It just doesn't happen. And right. we, we saw Philip Lindsay, a thousand yards his first two seasons. Oh, that's it. No one cares now. You're a UDFA. Right. It's it's just it's it's not fair, but it's the reality of it. And there's a there's a better chance that James Robinson never matters again then he returns to the, type, the guy that he was these past two seasons, which is not fair to him because he deserves a starting role in the NFL. But I think that that's more likely to happen. I would be surprised if he's ranked the top 36 back entering this season. Wow. Well, uh, that's uh, uh, I, I can't argue uh, much with what you said. I think Etienne is uh, what I envisioned him as last offseason. I wrote about him uh, on an old blog. I got a lot of pushback for it, but I'll stand by it, is that I didn't see him coming in uh, to that offense and taking over as a lead back. Um, I saw uh, a situation where each guy could get 200 touches. There was room for that to happen in that offense and where they each play their own role. Um, if Robinson getting 200 touches, I still think is entirely possible if he's healthy. And you're right, it is a, a question mark. I am assuming he will be back, but that's just an assumption. Um, I do think there is a, there is room in that offense. If you think about the number of plays that are being called in a given you know season, uh, and the fact that that 
probably won't be an air it out offense. I think that is going to be a manage the clock. Trevor Lawrence will be doing more, more running because when he did do uh, 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 kind of play action, you know, run up the middle or run off the, uh, off the edge for five yards, that was a very effective way to keep defenses off balance and they went away from it. Um, but I could see a case where Robinson and Etienne both thrive, thrive being relative term. They're both top 20 to 30 guys. Maybe one of them is top 16 to 20, um, but it, it assumes that that offense gets to that next level, maybe with a huge free agent addition, maybe with a couple of savvy draft picks that beef up that offensive playmaking uh, array that they have. Because I don't think Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chanel and Dan Arnold are going to carry that offense uh, into 2022. Piggybacking on that, while, of course, we prefer players on good offenses. At the running back position, it doesn't seem to be as important. Of the top 12 running backs last season, only four of them were on top 10 scoring offenses. And we saw James Robinson be a top 12 running back in 2020 on what was a bottom-of-the-barrel offense in Jacksonville. So the, the issue is more about volume. And right. Robinson's biggest problem this season was the volume went away late in the season. His snap share over the first six weeks was, was close to like 80%. And all of a sudden, beginning in week 10, uh, he, he never he never hit uh, – well, he hit more than 63% once that season, which was in week 15 when he had 84%. And in that game, he was an RB1 with 75 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. So it, comes, it comes down to that volume. Will he get that? It depends on how they use him with Etienne. And, and we'll find out later in the season. We'll, we'll find out later in, in the summer how that's, that's right. going to be. That's right. I, I, I agree with you to the extent that I would not dismiss Robinson entirely but I'm just I'm more predicting how I think they'll use him and the, the problems coming off the injury. But if he comes back to a role and if he's healthy, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll be a running back that can have value. Very good. Well, we will end it there. Katz gets the last word. Um, and I'm giving him the last word because he somewhat agrees with me. If it had been something else, I would have taken the last word. Um, uh, thank you, Katz, for being here as always. Uh, Jason Katz, I'm BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Uh, find us, profootballnetwork.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, or Facebook page, anywhere else where you get your fantasy news. Uh, we're here throughout the week, every week, uh, talking about fantasy and talking about it in a way that is hopefully for you all actionable. We don't like to just talk. We like to talk about ways that get us to the next step. And the next step usually means, am I buying or am I selling? Am I drafting or am I uh, fading? And so if you can think about those things and you like those things, keep joining us. Keep engaging with us and we'll see you next time.